So I just want to say welcome. My name is Austin. Um, I get to do uh, the preaching around here now uh, a little bit more. Um, and so that's, it's been a great opportunity. And uh, I've really enjoyed kind of this time to pick and choose different topics and, and series to kind of go through. And uh, man, I feel like every time I'm like, I am seriously regretting <laughs> like every, every series or topic that I've chosen. Um, but, but it's a good thing. It's, a, it's really not a regret. It's, it's, it's a good thing. And so I'm, I'm grateful for you guys, um, for your grace, uh, for your time spent here on Sunday mornings learning and, and listening. And so I'm just, I'm grateful for that. So before we, before we dive in, um, I just kind of want to take you back a little bit through what we're doing. We're wrapping up this journey through Jonah. Um, so we've spent the last four weeks walking through these three chapters and essentially just like taking a machete, right, to like the vegetation that has grown around it due to the talking vegetables um, and like the depiction of Jonah that we get through like children's media and stuff like that. And so I think what we've discovered or maybe rediscovered is that this is definitely not, like the story of Jonah is definitely not a children's story. Like sure, children can grasp um, just the, uh, the basic outline of the story, uh, but the themes of the story are so profound that, so profound that you very much have to be, you very much have to be an adult to get them. So themes like religious hypocrisy, um, spiritual slumber, and apathy, right, or, and, and the devastating effects that that has on, on us and on other people, right, that was week two, and then the ways that God can use our pain and our suffering in our lives as, as this weird provision towards this, this path of life, okay, and, and, also, and then the last week, divine judgment and repentance, like these are heavy ideas that you really do have to be an adult to fully grasp, and so today we're going to conclude this journey through Jonah with this ridiculous character, right? Like our religious prophet, man of God, who would rather die than live with a God like Yahweh. Okay, so like, what are we going to learn from that today? (laughs) Uh, We'll dive into that. Uh, But to recap for us today, I thought it would be kind of fun to read one of the children's books that I've had uh, sitting on my desk uh, as I've been preparing for this series. And so um, I'm, I'm just going to read it. The, the, the pictures are in here. They're, they're kind of goofy. Maybe I'll point out one of them, but it's like, can, you guys can't see that. So I'm just, we're just, we're just kind of, you can see it while you're sitting up close. So um, but we're just going to read it. So this is called Jonah. Um, and it, as, I don't know if you can see it, but that's like a, there, there's the fish, right, that every children's book tends to kind of fixate on. Okay, so this is called Jonah. One day God told Jonah Go to the city of Nineveh, its people have done wrong. Tell them, I will punish them. But Jonah, Jonah was very scared. He ran away. I'm not going to do that. Jonah Jonah went to sea, apparently. He jumped on a ship that took him far away from Nineveh. But God sent a great storm. Waves splashed onto the ship And the sailors were afraid. But Jonah lay asleep below deck. Wake up, Jonah, called the captain. Help us or we'll drown. It is my fault, said Jonah. I'm running away from God. That's why he sent this storm. Toss me into the sea, Jonah told the sailors, and the storm will stop. The moment they threw Jonah into the water... The storm stopped. Down into the swirling water, Jonah sank. 
Then, gulp. Something swallowed him. It was a huge, huge fish. Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Help me, Lord, he prayed. At last, the fish spat Jonah out onto a beach. And as we kind of learned last week, that it was actually vomited, like the fish cod, right? That's the word, ka, like that's the word for vomit. And uh, so the fish spat Jonah out onto the beach, cod him out onto the beach. Go to Nineveh, God told Jonah again. Tell the people, I'm going to punish them. This time, (laughs) this time Jonah did, as God said. He went to Nineveh and warned the people. We're very sorry, they said. We will change. And I kind of chuckled because like here, here's Jonah walking to Nineveh, gung-ho, with a smile on his face. And like if you've been here the past few weeks, like I don't think that's a very accurate uh, depiction of of Jonah, okay? And so, and then, and and then it's, and then it ends. That's the end of the book. That's all we've got. Read how Jonah was rescued after he was thrown into the stormy sea. This is, our, this is our children's, the children's book. Does it sound familiar to what we've been working through? Maybe a little, right? But I mean, for goodness sakes, okay, a happy ending? Happy ending? Absolutely, we're very sorry and we will change. Nineveh repents, happy ending? Yeah, Jonah did the thing. Jonah did the thing. Okay, he did what he was supposed to do. He was a prophet guy, like Nineveh repented. They did, he did the thing. It was good. Okay, is this how the book of Jonah and the scriptures end? No, there's a whole other chapter, for goodness sakes. There's a whole other chapter. Okay, yes, Nineveh repents, right? Or Nineveh repents, God forgives, yay, right? That's not the end of the book. The scriptures keep going, okay? So, and so the scriptures keep going, and we find at the end, end of, of verse three, um, God relents. God relents. Nineveh repents and God relents. And how does Jonah feel about this? Jonah is ticked. He's livid, right? Okay, so this is, this, here we are, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. <clears throat> and he became angry. And you can just kind of, you can kind of see he's about, like he's gritting his teeth as he prayed this. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Like he's so heated, he's so heated by God's forgiveness that he tells God to kill him, to kill him which wouldn't be the first time that Jonah's tried to kind of pull off that stunt, okay? And so he prays this, this angry prayer to God, and like, have you guys ever kind of done this? In, maybe you haven't, I don't know, maybe you're not as petty as I am, but have you ever done this in an argument where like you've turned someone's words against them? Like you've used something they've said and you're like, oh, you are always this, right? That's totally what Jonah's doing here in verse two, okay? These are words directly from God's mouth in Exodus to his people, to Moses and his people, right? And so Jonah takes this description of God, right? Uh, A gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents, a God who forgives, right? Jonah takes those words and just shoves it back in God's face. 
He's like, seriously, God, you just had to be gracious. You just had to be compassionate. Like, you just had to love them and forgive them and not absolutely demolish them and destroy them. Seriously. I knew you were going to do it. I knew it. I knew it, God. Okay, now just kill me, please. He sounds like a, like a little adolescent kid, right? Like, just so upset. And we read this and we can't help but think, like, how ridiculous. Like, this guy is insane. He's insane. Because it's, it's crazy because Jonah and his, even his ancestors, he would not exist. Israel would not exist if God wasn't that way. But God is that way. God is that way. Again, it's just the irony that just oozes from this book, okay? So clearly, Jonah just loses it here. I'm guessing like there are very few of us in the room that are sympathizing with Jonah right now. Like, like yeah, God, how dare you forgive people like, and blow up an entire city? How dare you not do that? Right? There aren't any of us who are, who are very sympathetic to that. No, we're, we laugh at Jonah because this, this seems just ridiculous to us. And yet I think Jonah 4 is actually getting at something. It's exposing like the dark side of God's grace and mercy. What is, when we really think about it, actually very scandalous, the liberality of God's grace and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, relenting from calamity type person that he is. And like, we're, we're great. We're, we're super happy when like God's compassionate and loving and, for, and forgiving of us and relents to send, send us into calamity, right? Like it's so good when that's, when that's us, when that's, oh man, God, thank you for that, for not doing that. Like that's, yes. But when God does that for people, maybe that we despise, or hate, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know how I feel about that. You see, we, we sing songs about grace and how amazing it is and how sweet the sound until someone we think doesn't deserve it hears it. And then it's not amazing and not so sweet. We don't like that. We know what they've done. We know what they've done to others. We, we know what they've done to me in, in some of our stories. Trust me, God, they do not deserve your grace, your forgiveness. And so, yes, this depiction of Jonah is crazy and ridiculous. But I think the motivation for Jonah to criticize God's grace is actually quite understandable for us. And so what God is going to do through the rest of Jonah 4 is try to move Jonah along in his thinking, okay? And so uh, we're going to keep going. We're going to dive into verse 4 here. But the Lord replied, okay, and this is, he's, he, the, God, God's like, okay, let's talk about this, Jonah. Like, let's talk about this. Almost kind of like a therapist. And he says, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Is it right for you to be upset at me for showing grace to the Ninevites? Is that legitimate, Jonah? And what is Jonah's response? What does Jonah do? He doesn't respond. He stonewalls, okay? Verse 5, he goes, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. He made himself a shelter and sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. So God asks Jonah if his, if his anger is legitimate, and Jonah just completely ignores God, which again is not the first time Jonah's done that, okay? He, he fleed from God. And so God's first attempt at getting Jonah to kind of think um, about things differently is not very successful, okay? Jo Jonah gives him the hand, basically, and then just goes and like sits and pouts outside of the city, okay? And so he, he, he makes a shelter, he sits down, he's ready, and, and what is he waiting for? It says Jonah's waiting. What is he waiting for? What does Jonah want to happen to the city of Nineveh? Destruction, right. He wants to see like fire rain down from heaven and like decimate Nineveh. Like that's what Jonah wants. And, and he's so ticked. 
he's so ticked about that, that that's not happening, that these people are rep- repenting. He's like, he's like, he goes and pouts outside the city and he waits for it. But there's also something else that he's very frustrated about. And you kind of have to dive in a little bit to get this. He's, he's also very upset. He's also just ticked off because God played a trick on him. And we're going we're gonna to dive into this a little bit. God played a trick on him. Remember that five-word sermon that, uh, that Jonah preached to Nineveh, right, in chapter 3? You guys kind of remember that? Okay. So Jonah goes a day into the city and he, he proclaims, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Overthrown. So the Hebrew word here for overthrown is the word hapak. Say it with me. Hapak. Hapak. Yeah. Hapak. Hapak. Okay, that's the Hebrew word. And, so, and you guys are all like, okay, here we go again, Austin. Like, goodness gracious. But bear with me here. Okay. Seriously, this is, this is really good. And actually, it's, it's kind of really important to understand. So in English, in English, we have basic meanings of words, right? Um, but those meanings can kind of change based on, on context and on nuances, right? And so on. So for example, you could say, I destroyed my car, right? Not awesome. That's, that's not good, Okay. Uh, that, that would be a really, really bad thing. It would be the physical destruction of your car. Not good. But it, in the other, on the other hand, you could, say, you could say, Notre Dame destroyed Boston College this week, and that was very awesome. And like some of you, I just became your enemy. <laughs> um, but like destroyed in the second instance, like it's a good thing, okay? And so the basic meaning for hapak is to turn something over. Okay? And, and, and most basically in the scriptures, it is used if you are cooking something on the grill, if you don't, like, cooking something, whether, whether it's typically over a fire or an oven, and if you don't turn it over, what happens? It burns. <laughs> like, it, and you have to throw it away. Like, it's gone. It's, you can't do anything with it. it. It's burned. Okay, and this example in the scriptures is actually used to describe what happened to the city of Sodom. Okay, and Sodom being, like, the epitome of, like, sin city, sin city like, debauchery, all that stuff, okay, in the scriptures. And so, it, Sodom is, is described as being hapakt, hapakt, destroyed. Okay, however, there's another meaning for the word hapak in the scriptures, and it means to turn something over from bad to good. Now, which meaning do you think Jonah intended when he used the word hapak? He totally was thinking Sodom. Yeah, destroyed. He totally was like, yes, dis- you're going to be destroyed. Okay, which meaning do you think God intended to use? <laughs> Turned over. Like turned around, like from good to bad. And when what actually happened? What actually happened? They repented and God relented, right? And so Jonah's ticked. Jonah's ticked. Because God won't let Jonah get away with anything in this story. Like nothing. He tries to run away from God. That didn't work, right? A huge storm comes and, and so then he's like, throw me overboard. And like he gets swallowed by a fish. Like he cannot, he cannot get away. So then he kind of gets in his mind, okay, that he's, I'll just, you know what? I think I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go to Nineveh, God. And, but in his head, he's like, I'm going to engage in some prophetic sabotage. And I'm going to give Nineveh as little information as possible, ensuring, like, surely they will get fire from heaven after my five-word crappy sermon. And then that doesn't even work. God uses his own words against him, right? Just like Jonah used God's words against him early on in verse 2. Okay, so it's, it's brilliant, right? This is, this is just a brilliantly told story. It's, it's funny. It's It's funny. Okay, and so of course, Jonah's livid with anger because God, because what Jonah intended to use for evil, God used for good. Somehow he turned it around and he brought people into repentance repentance to find grace in life. And so Jonah's ticked off, okay? And so clearly he's still hoping, like he's still hoping as he sits outside the city, like he's waiting 40 days for just like a meteor to come from the sky and just blow up the, the, the city, okay? And so as he's sitting there pouting, 
God's going to engage with him another time. Okay, so like the direct question, like God, is it, God asked Jonah, hey, is it okay? Is it okay for you to be angry at, at my compassion and forgiveness on Nineveh with these people? Like, is it right for you to be angry? For, for, for me to show grace to them, is that okay? Right, and Jonah's stonewall, like talked in the hand, okay? And so he tries a different technique. I call it the small plant tactic. Okay, and so in verse, verse six, this is such a fun part of the story. So Yahweh God provides a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about this plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, like a tiny little worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head, so much so that he grew faint. And sure enough, he wanted to die and said, wouldn't it? It would be better for me to die than to live. Like, man, this, this, this Jonah. And so we're, and we're kind of like, wait, weren't you just happy? Like, you were very happy. You were incredibly happy over a plant. Okay, and now you want to die. <laughs> like, like what, is, what, is, what is going on, Jonah? Like, what is wrong with you? Okay, and so Jonah's just like this crazy person. Like, I'd rather die than live with a compassionate, loving God. Oh, but this plant, it's so amazing and beautiful. Like, look at this. It's so cool. And then the plant dies, and the plant's gone, and he's like, oh, I want to die again. Like, dude, get some help. Seriously, go find someone, okay? Talk to somebody. Um, but God catches on to something really important here, okay? Verse 9, God repeats his question, okay? But here he, he adds a little twist on it. He adds a little twist, and so we need to catch this. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So first he couldn't get Jonah to, to, to own up, to answer to the question, is your anger, like for me showing grace on these people, is it legitimate? And so Jonah just kind of ignores him. So God takes the, the small plant tactic, right? And is your anger to death about this plant, is that legitimate? Like, good question. Like, absolutely not. Like, surely Jonah's going to, like, wake up and, and realize how irrational he is, right? Right? <laughs> how does Jonah respond? <laughs> he, says, he says, I'm so angry, I wish it were dead. Is it right? Yes, it is. It is. Of course it's right for me to be angry. I wish I were dead. And we're like, whoa. It is so clear that, like, Jonah's beyond reason. Like, the guy's just too irrational, beyond reason. But Jonah, but God doesn't give up on Jonah, okay, because he's, he's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love and kindness, okay? He's committed to Jonah. He wants to work this out. And so the Lord said again. This time, the Lord, the Lord basically comes alongside Jonah. He's like, listen, Jonah, listen. You've been concerned about this plant. And some of your translations might have shown, like, they, they might have shown pity on or have shown compassion on this plant. The whole point is that Jonah, okay, he has this extreme emotion, very, very happy, very, very sad about a plant. Like, extreme emotion. And, like, God's like, Jonah, you didn't even care for this plant. You didn't even make it grow. You can't claim, and so God, you can't claim to have an emotional attachment to this plant because it came up overnight and it was gone, like, within a day. Okay? You didn't even have it for longer than a day of your life. But he says, okay, hold up. But let's just say, let's just say that your strong emotions, your care, your compassion for this plant, Jonah, let's just say that this is legitimate. Okay? Verse 11, shouldn't I be able to have that kind of strong emotion and concern for something like a little more significant? like a huge city of, full of human beings like Nineveh where there are more than 120,000 who can't tell their right hand from their left. And actually, that, I can't tell my right hand from my left, obviously. <laughs> okay, who can't tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. 
And that's the end of the book. <laughs> like, the end. The end. Like, this is such a great story, but like, what the heck is that ending? What is going on? Okay, so first of all, first of all, this is so brilliant what God is doing here. First, he tries to expose, expose how foolish jo- it is for Jonah to be angry at God for showing grace to the Ninevites. That didn't work, okay? So he's like, okay, let's try to get, let's try to get at your anger another way, Jonah. Try to help him understand how ridiculous this is. And so he does this whole thing with the plant. And like Jonah, super, super stoked, like super happy about the plant, okay? And God recognizes that for the first time in the story, Jonah's happy. For the first time in the story, he cares about something other than himself, right? Like for the very first time, okay? And so, and so granted, it is something that like gives him comfort and ease, okay? So it's, it's something for, for him, okay? But it's the first time in the story that a little corner of Jonah's heart cares about something other than himself, like for the first time in the story. And so God's like, we can work with that. We can work with that. So God's gracious and accommodating, and he says, okay, Jonah, you, you got a, obviously you've got a soft, spot, a soft spot in your heart of emotion and care for this, for this plant, okay? Now let's, let's just grant you again the legitimacy of the strong emotional attachment that you have. Like, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing, Jonah, that you should be, like, um, you should, you should be concerned about something other than yourself. Good for you, Jonah. That's awesome. Okay, you are a prophet after all. Now, can I just compare that? God, like God says, can I just compare that? Wouldn't it be okay? I mean, would it be okay with you, Jonah, if I were to be concerned or have the, have the same similar concern for something else other than myself? Say, perhaps, thousands upon thousands of human lives of, of people made in my image? Right? And, who, and then what's the depiction? What's the depiction of these Ninevites? that God's so concerned over. What does it say about them? They can't tell their right hand from their left. And this is clearly like a Hebrew uh, turn of phrase because it can't mean that they don't know right from wrong, okay? Because God clearly expects them to know right from wrong. He brought a word of judgment into their, into their city, into their lives, and they responded accordingly because they knew, that they, they knew that they should do better, okay? And so it seems that this phrase, not knowing the right hand from the left, is, is, it means like misguided, and this is actually a common description of humans in the Bible. Usually it's connected to sheep, like stupid sheep that go astray and, and wander off and shepherds got to go find them and, um, and actually break their legs and bring them back sometime because they keep running away. It's this, it's this like sheep, okay, so sheep. And so God, and here's what God's, God's not excusing the Ninevites. He's not saying, oh, you know, they don't know their right hand from their left, you know, so they're not, they shouldn't be held accountable for their behavior, right? Okay, so he's not, he's not saying that at all. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that they are accountable for their behavior, but they're lost and misguided, and that's where their injustice comes from. And so God is just trying to appeal to Jonah, right? You're all worked up about this little plant, Jonah, and that's great. I get that, but can't you see that I might just be, be concerned about something a little more significant, okay? The lives of human beings and their cows, apparently. <laughs> that's the last word of Jonah, four. It's the last word of the book of Jonah. Cows, literally, Bessie. Like, should I not be concerned for these people and Bessie? Bessie repented too, if you remember in John chapter 3. Like, Bessie repented. Bessie put sackcloth on with, along with everyone else and repented, okay? And so we just, we're, we're, we're just kind of like, wait. The, Jonah 4 ends, and we, we're, we sit here and we're like, what is going on? What is this? Like, it just ends with a question? I want to know what Jonah said. What happened? Did Jonah respond? Like, did he get it? Did he finally get it after all this time? And if that's, if that's all we ask, and we leave this 
And we were just like, okay, well, I guess that's that. On to Micah, the prophet of Micah. Then I'm convinced that we don't get it. Because this, was this book really about Jonah in the first place? Who's this book really about? Yeah, you and me, us. The real question we need to be asking as we finish this book is how is this story a word from God to his people? Like all the other books of the prophets, okay? And how am I living in response to his word to me? Because the book of Jonah, right, it's, it's this ridiculous caricature of people who grasp the scandal of God's grace and that God loves your enemy as much as he loves you. And when that really sinks in, like really sinks in, especially when you have a fresh wound or when you're in a difficult relationship or when you're struggling with forgiveness, like this chapter really packs a punch, really socks you in the gut. This is what Jonah, or this is what God is trying to get at here with Jonah. Because Jonah clearly thinks that the Ninevites are like the most wretched sinners on the planet. And that very well may be true. But of course, in the book of Jonah, okay, who's the most hard-hearted, hateful person in the entire story? Jonah. So God is gently trying to take Jonah to see what's happening here. Like, Jonah, like, you're a part of the covenant people, right? And that's great. That's awesome. But that absolutely does not excuse your religious hypocrisy and your superiority. Like, can't you see that you're just as broken and lost and misguided as they are? So shouldn't I be concerned? As I'm concerned about you, shouldn't I be as concerned about them? And their cows? This gets me. When we read this and conclude that God loves your enemy, I think maybe we just heard this. We've just heard this so many times. And so we, you know, we're like, yeah, God, I, I know. I know. I know. I get it. I knew you were like that, right? I can handle that. I can tolerate that. It's a pretty radical thing to do, but, but I'm cool with it, I guess. Oh, oh, oh wait, God. You want, you want me to? You want me to? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I know them. I know what they've done. I'm okay with you forgiving them, but like, just don't ask me to. We're cool with saying and thinking it's okay to God, for God to love and forgive our enemies, but when we're asked to follow suit, we're not so sure. I just can't forgive them. The reality is, this is like seriously one of the most fundamental things about the gospel of Jesus. Forgiveness for one's enemies. Yes, that's what, God is, that's what God did for us on the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.10, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And Jesus talks about this all the time. He puts it this way. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And many of us read this, and I think if we're honest, we're like, hey, that, you know what? That's really like admirable and honorable, Jesus, but, like, but no. <laughs> if you look at how we live, how like the collective majority of, of, of people, Christians, live, like clearly, Jesus, like you weren't thinking straight when you said that, like that's just not how the world works. And Jesus is like, actually, it is. You've got it upside down. This is how God made us to live. And this was his whole announcement of the coming kingdom of God, that there is a whole new way in him, in Jesus, there is a whole new way of living in God's world. 
And it's arrived. It's here for us. And through him, people are fully reconciled to God and to other people. And none of us, none of us have to try and do this on our own because it is simply who God is. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity, right? Exhibit A, me and you. How do we know that? Us, because we're here. And so the book ends with God responding to Jonah like, Jonah, you have no high ground to stand on declaring who gets God's grace and who doesn't. Like we've all made ourselves enemies of God through our own self-absorption and selfishness and defining good and evil for ourselves, wronging other people, okay, or maybe not wronging other people, but being proud of that fact, like so proud of the fact that we don't do that. And then some of us, like we make more of our lives into train wrecks than others and we all do it in different ways. And some of us are kind of like blind to the fact of that. And then other, others of us, we're starting to kind of wake up to it and realize that God has moved towards me in grace, but also towards those that I despise. And friends, I hope you hear me this morning like I'm not trying to be trite or insensitive to the very real experiences of pain, of wounding, of hurt that you've been through. There are real stories in this room with deep wounds caused by other people's sin and selfishness. And for that, I'm deeply sorry. If there is any place, any place where the spiral of sin and selfishness in this world stops, it's at the cross. And the community of the people who form and gather around the cross are called to live differently, not because we think we're better, but because we've been shown We've been shown that grace and that compassion by a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. And so that's what the scriptures try to get us to do, redefine our ideas, okay? And that's what Jonah 4 and Jesus is asking us to do, to redefine our idea of, of what an enemy is. To Jonah, the Ninevites have become stereo, like stereotyped and demonized in his thinking, okay? He thinks they're the bad guys, okay? But they really had soft hearts and repented and turned to God immediately, like with a crappy sermon, okay? And he can't, Jonah can't even see this. And I think this is what happens with our enemies, the enemy being like someone who's a group, someone or a group of people who've wronged you or like, or, or wronged someone that you care about or, or, I mean, we could even broaden it to include people that you just like don't get along with, that you can't stand, okay? Like you don't even want to be around them, okay? And like, or you struggle to be around them. And like, can I just say, that's okay. It's okay to struggle to be around certain, certain people. But the issue with that is what you do is how you respond to that repulsion and to those emotions. There's where the issue lies. Okay, because what most of us tend to do is we tend to fixate on what, what someone did to me, how they wronged me. Okay, and so we take this like complex person who has a story of origin, a family of origin, who has, who has people that they've wronged and people that have wronged them, and then we just kind of like, ex- not to excuse anything that they've done, not to excuse anything they've done, but just to, just to convey that they have a story. These people, people, everyone in the world, they have a story. They're complex like, people don't just act in screwed up ways for no reason, okay? We all have a story behind why the, the way that we act, okay? And so what happens is this person comes to my life, okay, they've wronged me, they did something, and then as we replay that story a thousand times, a million times in our head, we tend to reduce, we tend to reduce these, these people with complex, like, stories, this, we tend to reduce them down into the thing or what they did to us. 
So maybe someone lied to you or about you, right? And what happens over time is the person that told the lie to me or about me then slowly becomes the liar in your mind, in, in that story that you play in your head. And then all of a sudden they like grow horns and like they have a forked tongue, right? And so we begin to reduce down their humanity um, to, to, to just something that they did to us, to the trait or thing that they did to us. And we tend to think, and then what happens is we tend to think of ourselves as opposite of them, don't we? I do. I speak for myself here, I guess. And then what you end up with is Jonah chapter 4, where he's so blind to the fact that the line of good and evil goes right down the middle of him. Goes right down the middle of him too. And he th- when he thinks everyone else is the problem. When in reality, we are all contributors to why this world is the way that it is. And of course, some of us, some of us in different or more ways than other, have, are, are more, more screwed up, all right? But, but the line of good and evil goes down every single one of us. Every single one of us. We have all made ourselves enemies of God. And that's, friends, that's the point of the cross. The ground is level before the cross. Every human being can receive grace and mercy. And I do not get a say in who does or who doesn't receive grace and mercy. That's the gospel of Jesus, is God's gracious, almost scandalous, liberal mercy. And ultimately where this leads us, where Jonah 4 leads us, is God has intentionally brought Jonah into contact with his enemies. Because he wants to teach Jonah something, and therefore all of God's people something. And so let's just think about this for a second as we, as we wrap this up. Okay? There are people, there are people in your life that make following Jesus really hard for you. Right? There's, there's typically someone that comes to mind, whether it's a toxic person or, or an enemy, right? That's kind of a weird word for us to use today. Or, or a person that you just strongly disagree with or cannot get along with, okay? And following Jesus would just be so much easier if that person was not part of your life or a part of your story or even in the picture at all. And Jonah 4 just kind of flips that, flips that on its head and says, could it be? Could it be that that person is in your lives precisely as a divine invitation for you to grow and mature in your experience of God's grace. Not just in receiving it, but beginning to show it to someone else. And not just like mentally ascending to it, kind of like we talked about last week, like, yeah, I forgive that person, you know. But actually living it out, living out God's grace in our lives. Could it be? that this is an opportunity of growth for us. A theologian by the name of Walter Wink, um, he has this idea called the gift of our enemy, which is the title of the series today, the gift of Nineveh. The gift, and so he says this, he says the gift of our enemy may be, um, the gift of our enemy may be able to bring us to see aspects of ourselves that we cannot discover any other way other than through our enemies. You see, our friends seldom tell us these things. They are our friends, Precisely because they are able to overlook or ignore this part of us. The enemy is thus not merely a hurdle to be leaped on the way to God. The enemy can be the way to God. We cannot come to terms with our shadow except through our enemies. We have almost no other access to these unacceptable parts of ourselves that need redeeming except through the mirror that our enemies hold up to us. Wink takes this a step further and he, and, he, and he gives us this practice and this is what I leave us with today, this week. I invite you, I invite you this week 
Okay, I don't have, a, I don't have like a, a slide for this, so mental note or write down a note, okay, or in your phone, okay. So this week, I invite you to grab a pencil and something to write on, or your phone, or however you want to do it. And then uh, open up, open up Jonah 4 in front of you, okay? And so, band, you guys can come on up. And uh, this week, pen, pencil, phone, whatever, all right, get Jonah 4, open it up in front of you, and then I want you guys to, to get your enemy, that person, group of people, whatever it is for you, and I want you to get those people in your mind, okay, the person that wronged you, or, or, or just like severely annoys you, you can't stand them, you can't stand to be around them, okay, you struggle to get along with them, get them in your mind and write down every character trait about them that you hate. <laughs> like get it all out there. And some of you are like, yes, I cannot wait to do this. Okay, just don't do it while your husband's around, okay? <laughs> I'm totally joking, I'm totally joking, that's 100% a joke, okay, <laughs> um, and, and I kind of laugh about it, because that's just what happens when you live with someone, okay, like, they're another person, they're an actual living human being, like, they have things that they, that your life has now collided with them, and, like, they have things that just annoy you, like, it's another per- it's not you, okay, like, so that, that's normal, that's okay, all right, back to the exercise, okay, once you have your list, all right, you know, greedy, selfish, arrogant, you know, etc., I want you to pause, once that list is written out, pause, Pause over it and pray over it. And in God's presence, line by line, go through each thing that you listed out. And I want you to ask yourself, have I ever displayed this same kind of behavior? Ever. And then it's just a matter of whether or not you're going to be like Jonah or not. Right? The first step, friends, towards loving your enemy is recognizing our common humanity the common brokenness that we all share. And this is where God is trying to lead Jonah. And this is where God, this is where I believe God is trying to lead us through the story of Jonah and through the gospel of Christ, forgiveness for one's enemies. And so as we turn towards Christ and receive the grace and forgiveness in our own lives, let us point others towards Christ by offering that grace and forgiveness to them in their lives. And then may God have compassion on even the worst of us and may we rejoice in God's compassion and forgiveness for all of us together. Amen? Amen. So we're going to worship together to kind of wrap up this, uh, this morning and, and uh, I hope you guys take, that, take that, ex- that little exercise seriously. Sit down with the book of Jonah and ask yourself those questions and then ask what is this book? What is this word to you in your lives today?